This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Robert O'Reilly. My name is Gowron. Honor to you and your house. You're listening to Trek FM. T.O. Gray Hospital. Welcome to another cup of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host, Justin Ozer, and join with me today are the exceptional Richard Marquez and the incredible Amy Nelson. Richard, how are you doing today? I am doing fantastic. I feel love in the air. <laughs> yes, maybe a hint of what we'll talk, be talking about today. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and Amy, you're coming to us on location from somewhere outside of your usual Vegas house. Is that right? That is correct. And for the first time, we are all in the same time zone. Not same oh, city, but t- same time zone. Yep. All in the mountain time zone. That's right. The first time. Yep. Nice. Yay! <laughs> Welcome to the Mile High Club. Yes. <laughs> or back to Mile High Club. <laughs> A reference to Denver, I hope. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, mountain, I meant mountain, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, great to have you guys here today. And um, I was at El Paso Comic-Con yesterday, which was amazing. Got to see Jonathan Frakes and Marina Sirtis and Brent Spiner, and it was incredible. If you guys out there ever have a chance to see any of them or any of the Next Generation cast, you've got to do it because they have so much fun on their panels. So, so I'm, I'm, high. I'm wondering, because I've never seen them mm-hmm. uh, at a Comic-Con. I always see them at STLV. So mm-hmm. did they have the major lines like they do at STLV, or was it pretty relaxed? And Yeah, it was interesting because, yeah, I was comparing it because I've only been to STLV before, something that's very Star Trek-centric. And then this was a Comic-Con, which it's interesting because basically the three of them, plus maybe like a table or two in the vendor hall, and there were people that were dressed up a few was like all the star trek presence it was you know a lot of it was other stuff other sci-fi um but they did have pretty long lines but the great thing i think about like a more kind of local con like that is that you get to spend time with them like i got to spend probably a good five minutes talking to, to jonathan frakes it's not like like at stlv last year there was this huge line of all the the tng stars and they kind of hustled you past them like you're on a conveyor belt so you don't get as much as much time with them so uh i enjoyed that quite a bit but they did have a good line that the panel that they did was completely packed and even overflowed with some standing room only so that was nice to see so 
Yeah, it was great, but definitely a different experience. And definitely if people have a chance to go to something that's more local or regional and not like a big Star Trek convention, they should because you usually get to spend more time with the people that are there. Yeah, I actually agree with that because like um, when we went to, I mean, I've met a few of them. I met Marina Sirtis, um in person and um, uh, Nana Visitor as well as uh, Connor Trenier and uh, Michael Dorn, um, all of them at a local con uh and the longest was with marina circus actually i saw her three times (laughs) but uh because no one was there and i think um oh you went by the table three times yeah well yeah i talked to her like for a good 15 20 minutes uh and each time and each day because um the first day what's her name Haley stillwater or, or the one that's um that plays um She's on. I can't remember. I, I want to say it's Peg off of uh, out of the Avengers, but I can't remember what it, what her name is. Anyway, can't big celebrity, <laughs> and then Chris Evans came in the next day, and of course, no one was over there. Uh, everyone was gravitating towards Chris Evans, and then someone else. I can't remember mm-hmm. who else was, but yeah, it was a um, talking with her was great. Um, and yeah, you definitely have a lot more time to talk to yeah. some of them, um, you know, face to face. Yeah, I don't think I could have spent 15 minutes because there was still, you know, a fairly substantial line, but it was kind of like you got to talk to them for however long that you want and then it moves on to the next person. It's not right. like a rush, so that was nice. But there was a long line for them there and a long line for the photo ops because they had separate photo ops with each of them mm-hmm. and then they had a group photo op with all three of them. So that was nice. Oh, cool. Did you get all three of them? You know what? I I didn't. Um, well, actually, I got one with... Actually, what I ended up doing, which I hadn't done before, was I got like the selfie at the table, which actually in this case wasn't just like a selfie they actually had like someone behind the table who was a volunteer take a picture of you and it cost less and i felt like it was kind of i don't know a better experience doing that than than just going through the photo opera again they kind of hustle you through so i I totally agree with that yeah yeah Yeah. but no it was it was great experience so that's my second con ever (laughs) and my third will be at stlb again this august so yeah awesome well, I'm glad you had a great time. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I had to talk about it because I'm still kind of on a high about it. Nice. All right. So before we get into the main topic of our conversation for the episode, we have some feedback from the Babel Conference. In this case, uh, episode uh, 223, where we talked about uh, schisms with uh, Clara Cook. Uh, Richard, do you want to read the first comment? Sure. Uh, Patrick Carlins uh, said, another thing about the book Sight Unseen. It has a few Trek FM nods to it, including a character named after our fearless leader, Christopher Jones. I did not know that. You know what? I read the book. I think I read the book some years ago before I even got uh, involved in Trek FM, so I didn't even realize the reference. Yeah. Did you, Amy? No, I did not. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. It's And they've done other things. Like, I think... In the one of the most recent novels, it may have even been a Discovery novel. They had a character named Charlene Schmidt, who is after um, the uh, oh, former to the journey host. host. Yeah, mm-hmm. so they'll do that every once in a while because all those authors get interviewed on literary tracks, so they like to drop stuff. So thanks for reminding us of that, Patrick. <laughs> and again, it's a great book. Right. Well, Eddie Hagler also has an interesting take on it. He says uh, that Schisms is the episode I'm in, Lieutenant Edward Hagler. And he says, and I was reading this, I don't know what you guys thought, and I'm like, oh my gosh, we have an extra 
from the from uh, TNG on the Babel conference? What's going on here? And then he continues saying, my head cannon, the Lieutenant Edward Hagler that had polymer in his bloodstream was a failed clone. The thing that came through at the end was the real Lieutenant Edward Hagler. So. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> interesting. Okay, cool. Right on. It, it must be interesting to have someone with, with your name. I know, Richard, you mentioned there are Marquezes that have shown up, but not a Richard Marquez that I've seen. <laughs> I don't know if they... they. I think they gave him first names. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they did. Um, hmm, that's interesting. I'll have to go back and look. But I know there's I know there's two sets of Marquezes, but like one, like Lieutenant something Marquez, but he was whatever. But that nurse guy... Um, is always in the sick in is in sick bay always shows up so I don't know yeah <laughs> yeah interesting I think it will is incredibly unlikely there will ever be a Star Trek character named Justin Ozer but <laughs> and actually know. well actually you know this came up for me recently because um, there hasn't been on screen a character named Justin in all of Star Trek. <laughs> And actually, there was a comic recently, as far as I can tell, and actually there was a comic recently that included Strahl, who was uh, an engineer on the Glen in the show Discovery, and they gave him the first name Justin in the comic. And I was like, yes, a Justin, it survives into the 23rd century. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, thanks for that <laughs> that comment, Eddie. Uh, I'm sure you make that connection all the time, but we hadn't made that before. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, Randy Evans says, great job reviewing schisms. Love the discussion about the idea of subspace. And if Riker's bedhead doesn't have its own Twitter account, it should. So thank you, Randy. I checked. There is no Riker's bedhead account, so it's open if you want to start it. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know. Does he have bedhead in more than just schisms? Oh, yeah. The yeah. Uh, frame of mind. There you go. Oh, frame of mind. Too. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that was, no, crazy, but that's that bedhead. Well, and then he's got the different hairstyle when he plays Thomas Riker. I mean, there's definitely a lot of uh, hairstyles for Riker, considering it is just so short. <laughs> you know, not no. can't really be styled too off too diff many different ways. But he's got a lot of looks there. Huh. Yeah, there's true. not many. Yeah. Oh well, that's a good thing. <laughs> So Zach Moore uh, said, really enjoyed the discussion. Schism is one of my favorite episodes from the later seasons, and I think we can all relate to an exhausted Riker laying down for bed. Then getting waken, uh, woken up, what feels like immediately after, even more exhausted, but it's already time to start the next day. We've all had, uh, had days, or sometimes weeks, like that at one point or another. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yes, for me it was this past week. It's I just feel like I have not gotten any sleep and I lay down and then my alarm's going up off at 4:30 in the morning and oh, it's yeah, it's been one of those weeks for sure. Well, I hope there's not an alien abduction going on in the middle of the night. Yes, I sure hope so as well. <laughs> I go get my arm x-rayed. Ooh. <laughs> get a, put a camera in your room too. Yeah. <laughs> Just to make wow. sure. <laughs> yeah, just to be sure. <laughs> well, thanks again, listeners, for all your comments in the Babel Conference. So now we'll move on to the episode. So you might remember that we previously did an episode on Earl Grey 215 about romantic relationships that came out on or near Valentine's Day. 
So, and there were some relationships that listeners had mentioned and other things we had thought of afterwards that we thought we should do a follow-up episode. Uh, so we have some here that we'll be talking about today and uh, hope that you have fun listening to it. So I think the first thing that we want to do that we left off of the last episode is talk about Jordy. I feel like there should be a sigh right after that, Jordy. Oh. <sighs> and a, but, you know, a little nod of the head. Oh, dear Jordy. Yeah, I have to say, I was rewatching these episodes, which we'll go into in a minute, and I just kept being like, no, no, Jordy, don't do that. No. Oh, he did it. <laughs> so, well, let's talk about Jordy LaForge. So, the first one that we want to talk about is Leia Brahms who appeared in two episodes, one as a hologram in Booby Trap and one as the real Leia Brahms in Galaxy's Child. So let me start with you, Amy. What do you think about Jordy and Leia Brahms? I guess both the holographic and the real one and their interaction. Well, I think um, if listeners remember last week uh, with the character moments, I mentioned how comfortable Jordy is in speaking to the computer. Like the computer is basically a character on TNG and Jordy interacts with it just very familiar and is, he feels very comfortable discussing and talking to the computer as if it's a real person. So to make this jump into, well, he's now in the holodeck and he's talking to the computer well, let's just change the computer into Leia Brahms. I think it's a natural transition for Jordy to make, and I can see why he actually does develop feelings because he already is treating this uh, computer so friendly, I guess you will. So mm-hmm. I, I see that it is natural for him and that I can see what's happening, It, but still is very... Oh, yeah, that's why we need sigh. <laughs> Insert Jordy's sigh here. Um, and I think it is gets a little creepy when he meets her in person because he's already got this relationship in his head, you know, and just think how weird that would be to have someone who thinks that they already know you, you know, that you're meeting and you're like, I don't know you. Who are you? You know, and oh, I know everything about you. I mean, I guess maybe actors feel that way when they come across, you know, the fans. I don't know. I hope it's <laughs> creepy like that. <laughs> yeah, Justin. <laughs> I'm not trying to pursue a romantic relationship with any of the yeah. TNG people I'm seeing, and I do not have them in my personal holodeck. That's true. Yet. <laughs> um, yeah, but it, it is interesting that we had talked before that he's so friendly with the computer, and now he's taking it to the next level. Like, then I was watching it this time, and I was like, He's kissing the computer. He's really just kissing the computer, isn't yeah. he? <laughs> like, it's it's weird. I mean, and I know it, it feels probably creepier in Galaxy's Child, but it feels creepy here too because, so first of all, like the Enterprise is in this situation where they're in a lot of danger in this asteroid field that has these booby traps they're trying to get out of. And the the because he says in the holodeck to, you know, show something on the diagram and then Leia Brahms appears and and she's kind of like the computer at that point where it's like oh what do you want and how can I tell you these things but for him to make the leap and then say computer 
Could you use her personnel record to add some personality here? Oh, that's great. Now I can, but like, it's not necessary to the mission and it wastes like valuable moments for him to even do that. So that part is creepy and weird. Like, why would you do that? I don't know. What are your thoughts, Richard? And would you add personality to it in that situation? No. <laughs> that is the correct answer. I will enter the, into the record. No, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, no, and I thought, you know, maybe it's something that will happen in the 24th century, your 24th century, um, like, version of stalking, I guess, which actually hmm. makes me worried that the computer even has that kind of information <laughs> you know what i mean like on hand or something like that or it's yeah, yeah it's just, well they're going yeah. from the personnel record but i was thinking like are there really things in the personnel record that would tell you like what they like to eat and what they would smile at and stuff it just seems like the computer is making some leaps no Maybe. because yeah. no when you join starfleet i mean as in the army or any military forces like you're taking a psychological evaluation so I'm sure and they ask you your favorite that, food. Yeah, they ask you the same thing. You know, they have you do the psyche vow when joining. Okay. So you have the psychological, you know, and right. But, but you would think that the, a computer on a starship out there shouldn't have access to the psychological evaluation for the purposes of a holodeck simulation. It's right? Starfleet records. So he's asking, you know, get this record. I'd hope my psych eval would be, you know, somewhat yeah, maybe confidential. Have a level of clearance. I don't remember them asking what kind of food I like in the psycho valve. Well, but also, I mean, think about just this week with uh, the whole thing with Facebook and Zuckerberg, mm -hmm. like what things are being stored, what things are being calculated. I mean, and now mm -hmm. you're on a starship and like we see on Discovery, I'd like the white egg with the roasted tomato salsa, like those things are going to yeah. be kept track of. And so whatever you order mm -hmm. the most from your thing, that's going to have a record. And it's a mm. digital age and it's very, it makes very much sense that a computer and any database, especially like Facebook could come up with, come up with and say, Oh yeah, this is what Amy Nelson likes because these are the <laughs> things that she clicks like buttons on. And these are the, yeah, yeah. she stops and reads the article. Like it's keeping track of everything. And and yes, Richard, we should be we should be scared. Yeah. No, I and agree. Also, yeah, and I, yes, the answer yeah. is no to add the personality to <laughs> no, it. No, and I agree. So since we're on that subject, <laughs> um okay. no, it's just yeah, I, I've actually had multiple conversations since that whole him talking to Congress and everything. Yeah, it, mm -hmm. it's scary in of itself. It's just but you know, to mess with Facebook I usually Hopefully they're not listening. <laughs> um, I, 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 if they say, do you like this? And I usually put no, <laughs> even though I do. Uh, just mess, just you just to say no with, to everything? Well, just to mess with their uh, market, uh, target marketing, because I know what it's doing. Okay. And it's scary in of itself. So, no, it and I, I agree. Probably in the future, yeah, there will probably be, like, recordings, and the computer will be able to analyze body language and everything and whatnot. And um, be able to probably do what? I, what was the error rate? It was like, it was like nine percent 
yeah. error rate or something like that. Which is like pretty, pretty good. Which yeah, would be pretty, pretty good. good. Although clearly yeah. in the next episode, there are some things that computer right. may have left out. <laughs> yeah. you know? So it but, was recording her, pers- her public life, yeah. not her personal life. Yeah. But, but actually before, before we go further, like also in this episode, it opens with Jordy on the holodeck with a real person mm-hmm. and on the beach and you know he's trying to make this like a romantic date and he is trying like way too hard he's got this holographic violinist and he's just kind of casually like oh i'm just gonna move my arm over here and put her and she's like i'm having none of that and just leaves (laughs) but i think even in the episode guinan says that he's trying too hard but jordy keeps trying too hard (laughs) like what what I, i don't know it's like he that advice just goes like right through his head because like i I think that, you know, for, for a lot of people, they want to try to be a certain person or be a certain way in order to, like, attract the right person. But I'm mm-hmm. a strong believer, just be yourself. If someone else likes it, then that's the person that might be good for you. And you can't try too hard or try to be someone else. And Jordy's trying to be someone else. He's trying to be, I don't know, like, he's trying to look cool all the time, but he's not cool. But he is an interesting person with what he knows and, and his engineering knowledge. But, I mean, he's not going to be, like, the most popular person on the ship ever. That's what I mean. But he's trying to be someone he's not. He's raining rainbow guy. He's going to be uh, popular. LeVar Burton is cool. But, I mean, <laughs> at, but he's playing this character of Jordy who often has these characteristics where, yeah. like, he's creepy. He's trying too hard. He can be a jerk to people sometimes. I mean, I, I like the character in a lot of ways, but there are other ways where I think he's specifically playing it as not likable, it seems like. Well, just like yeah. what we said, just like what Amy has said, what we all said, that he's a very technical person. And, you know, like, unless it's what it seems like it, if there's not an actual technical manual or something like that or some kind of step-by-step in order to mm. you know because like you know what forming relationships is you know very fluid and it can go in multiple directions at any given point but like with yeah. this i mean he's used to computers and com- and systems uh and all that kind of stuff and you know it's predictable there you go yeah that's the, yeah. that's what that's the conclusion i was trying to get it's, to yeah it's not like trying to you know a line of dilithium crystal or something. There's probably only one good way to do it. Right. Know? Yeah. But, well, and I think your point to saying, you know, don't be awkward, just be yourself. I mean, you've been married. We're two married guys here, Richard, Justin. How, yeah. how long have mm-hmm. you been married? I've been married for, it'll be, um, let me see, 13 years this year. It's, it's been about, eh, it's about six months. Yeah. So yeah. I... So now I get to be the voice of the single people everywhere. Because okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've been single my whole life, pretty much. Um, so you just, every single person is told, just be yourself. It's so difficult um, because you are trying to attract someone. You do want to be with someone. You do want to be in a relationship and stuff like that. So I think it takes an extreme amount of confidence to get to that point and say, you know what, I am just going to be myself and either you like me or you don't. And if you don't like me, then, Hey, that's fine. You know, no bones about it. It takes, um, I think a lot of patience and time time and confidence to get there and i don't Mm. believe that every person actually does reach that point so uh it's easy to say but i think uh harder to do no it's it's a good point and like i I can of course only speak from my own experience and that's that's just always what's 
worked for me or what's made sense for me. But mm-hmm. yeah, it, I mean, it can be different. But also, like, I think even in saying be yourself, sometimes it's kind of like a greater projection or, or like a, I don't know, a, a more emphatic projection of who you are in some ways. It's like bigger in order to not, not by, you know, like lying or being someone you're not, but you're having to kind of project that a little bit. So yeah, yeah. I can see that. Yeah. It's a good perspective, but, mm-hmm. uh, but Jordy probably needs to dial it a little bit back more towards himself. <laughs> yes, he does. I think need to be more authentic, you know, yeah. with who he is and, and, and yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, so I still want to talk about Leia a little bit. I want to talk about Galaxy's Child, where the real <laughs> Leia Brahms yes. enters. So, you know, like, and here's the question that I have. So during the episode, you know, she comes there and she's different than Jordy thinks. Her hair is done differently. And it seems like she's maybe like a little colder, more distant, right? Um, and and during this, this whole process, I, I, I was actually surprised the first time I saw the episode that the first thing... He, that Jordy didn't do was like go to the holodeck and delete that program because <laughs> I'm always like it's still there but anyway so she sees the program and she's outraged rightly <laughs> that there's this this thing going on and 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 they have kind of this back and forth and there's this you know situation where they're able to, to work together but then toward the end it seems like they're getting along better and there's the possibility of a relationship after that I mean did that surprise you the first time that it kind of came back to that and it was maybe working a little bit more at the end that was definitely surprising because mm-hmm. yeah seeing you're right why didn't he delete it especially when he knows and he's had to deal with Barkley you know creating yeah. real people didn't he give a speech to Barkley about that's sort of not natural and if he didn't give it he was there he- yeah, he he did give it, but he gave yeah. that speech to Barclay after um, after Booby Trap. So maybe he learned from oh, I don't know. Right. But okay. it was after Booby Trap, but that was before Galaxy's Child where the real one comes. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, so he definitely really should have deleted that, especially since it was based on a living real life person, you know. Or even after Barclay's experience like oh, I need to delete that program I have with Leia Brahms because I told Barkley this isn't cool. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and it's funny, I always find it interesting when Jordy acts a little surprised to find out that like she has this life and is married and, you know, and I'm like, if you knew all these other things, why did you not know that she wasn't married or that, I mean, that she was married? I, that is always a weird thing for me. Um, you think he'd look in her file at least after the crisis had passed just exactly. to see? But isn't that basically like dating as well? You really don't know about a person until you actually meet and talk to them? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, but you would really think don't in like care. a personnel record that it would show whether they're married or well, not. Well, but I mean, I mean, like, you know, out of... Uh, I would hope there's privacy in the 24th century. <laughs> Um, especially when it comes to your personnel record, but I mean, you're, I mean, especially when you're meeting someone for the very first time, you're not, you're not worried about they're married or not until you actually talk to them and you know get to know them, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, before, unless, unless obviously the, the normal, you know, oh yeah, there's there's his wife right there, so never mind, you know, sort of thing. 
or a yeah, ring. it would have been funny yeah. if in, in Galaxy's Child he sees her on the transporter pad and is like, "Is there a Mister Brahms in your life?" <laughs> <laughs> but no, he wasn't going to ask that. Probably not, and I, I probably wouldn't either if I'm meeting someone either. I mean, I don't know if they believe in rings and all that kind of stuff back th- or in, in, right. the, in the future. Mm, that's mm-hmm. a good question. So yeah. maybe, I mean, it's not like you have like a, a bubble uh, that shows up over your head, you know, your status and all that. Yeah. So I am wondering what about Jordy or the situation that she decides to say, yeah, this guy isn't a creep. Let me be friends with him. Like, what was it? I mean, I don't know if I could make that transition. Well, and like, and the thing that I always concerned about is it sounds like it's rewarding his behavior. Like, yeah, you might have been like a, a creepy jerk with this, but uh, I'll give you a chance. Yeah. I don't know. It just it just kind of felt like it a bit came out of nowhere, and they mm-hmm. just felt like they had to wrap it up that way. But yeah, yeah. and as I mentioned before, they actually get together in the books after. Her husband dies, which is weird, but anyway. Well, isn't like, it talked about, um, oh, I don't want to misspeak, but it, don't, some sometime in the future that Jordy ends up with Leia? Oh, oh, okay. I think that... Is that um, parallels? Maybe or is that's it in, all good Is that a reference in All Good Things? It might be in All yeah, Good Things. Yeah, All Good Things right is that. what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. So... Anyway, I don't know. For me, it just always seems to come out of nowhere. Like, really? You know, he was the guy that that added personality to this holographic depiction of you and, you know, was romantic with it. I, yeah. Anyway, it's it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so we've mm-hmm. been talking about uh, Jordi and Leia for a while, but uh, yeah. I think it's important because <laughs> a lot of people think about that when they think about Jordi. Yeah. But there's another Jordi relationship we wanted to talk with talk about and that is Aquiel which you see in the episode Aquiel so if listeners might not remember there is a mystery at this messaging station I guess it is where they route subspace messages Mm -hmm. and this lieutenant Aquiel is missing eventually she's found and they there's some coalescent being and they're worried maybe it's her or maybe it's this Klingon but it turns out to be the dog at the end which is not a good ending (laughs) but um but yeah like with this one is kind of interesting as well because they think aquiel has been murdered so jordy is going through her personal logs and stays up all night and finds out like everything about her and then when they find her alive it's kind of awkward but they end up getting romantic anyway even though she's under suspicion for murder i don't know (laughs) what do you think of this one richard I'm surprised he didn't make a, a like a hologram of her <laughs> in this one. Um, but uh, oh, you yeah. mean after he saw the personal logs, he just went over to the Enterprise and be like, yeah, oh, like you know, downloaded them and just created a hologram program that, and yelled. That would be really creepy because she's supposed to be <laughs> dead at that point. <laughs> well, at least she wouldn't be living. Well, there you go. The actress gets some more screen time. There you go. <laughs> yeah. But like, it, it's so. I mean, I actually like that episode. I just. Okay don't like the ending um yeah, yeah. you know because it should be it should have been like her her dying and then him uh you know i guess like um falling in love with a pen pal or or something like that or who she was hmm. and sort of thing i that would have been i thought thinking about it now i think that would have been a better ending but like um yeah it's um it's a little creepy um 
Not gonna lie. Well, <laughs> I, I, see, but but I mean, I think he is maybe following some orders and looking at the personal logs because they think she's dead and they want to find out about the murder investigation. Yeah, but, but he still does. But he doesn't have to fall in love with her or or, or romance or in his head with her. I don't know. Yeah. True. That's Amy, what yes. That's what's so annoying. You're like, dude, and it's. The episode to me is fine, but just seeing Jordy go through the same mistake, in my opinion, <laughs> of falling in love with, again, starting off with this computer relationship. Computer, pull up the personal logs. Oh, this is so interesting. Computer, you know, I mean, so it's still this secondary way of meeting someone face to face you know it's like he falls in love with her before meeting her and i just mm. it's at least so, she was single yeah that's true <laughs> that's true you know and i just feel so bad for him it's like yeah you're doing your job and so why are you bringing your personal feelings into it why are you allowing yourself to okay there's no, that's not an excuse. No, I'm not saying it's acceptable, but I'm I saying know. that's why. Yeah. <laughs> He's a cat. It's just like, no, you know, Starfleet, you're supposed to have control. You're supposed to control your emotions and you're supposed to control and you're supposed to know when, you know, and I just like, no, you can't be doing this to every computer, you know, person that you meet. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, and, and poor Jordy. So he falls in love with her and they have, you know, a little romantic relationship. And then at the end, Jordy's like, oh, I think I can find an opening for you. And she's like, I'm good. I'm just going to leave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, yeah, and, you know, it's it's like it, it, when he tells her that he's been looking at her logs and everything, it, it's like it's like she caught up with all he um, everything he said and or thought and everything. I'm like, oh, yeah, OK, I'll just give you a cash. <laughs> it's like, no. <laughs> and oh oh and the the glowing rock that she has oh, oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> the first time i saw this episode i think there was that that glowing thing in in her culture and and i think she said something like it can it can enhance love and i was like are they gonna have like a sex scene with this thing oh no good good they're <laughs> gonna keep their clothes on and just hold the rock but um that's weird too <laughs> i don't know just like the the whole thing because like somebody's gotten murdered and she's under a cloud of suspicion and he has time for like this relationship it's weird weird, yeah. weird. i don't know if there's more we need to say because we've been talking about Jordy for like 20 minutes yeah. <laughs> it's like those magical rocks that they had at enterprise you know where they right were... <laughs> oh, you know oh like on the little holodeck yeah where they, yeah the, that, that's yeah, probably the what it was i don't know rainbow rocks yeah rainbow rocks <laughs> I yeah. just remember they were kind of like sparkly colors, maybe. Oh, it's been a while since I've seen Were they? I thought they glowed. Hmm. It could be. I haven't seen the episode for a they while. They used rocks oh, okay. for a lot of things. That's true. That's <laughs> very true. Remember with Troy and the, the one guy, and he transferred his negative feelings to her through the rock? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a convenient prop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can find it anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a rock. We just found it outside the studio. <laughs> um, well, should we move on from Jordy? Have we said all we need to say about him? I think so. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, let's move on to Data. So let's talk about Data and Yar. So we kind we? of see the. <laughs> 
I have it on the list, so we're going to talk about it for a minute here. Okay. If we okay, not. what do you think about Data and Yar? Yeah, I don't like Amy. it. Amy. <laughs> I just, it was, I maybe it came too soon in the season. Or, you know, I mean, it was season one, episode two, right? Make it, it was, now. Yeah. And I just, it was so contrived and forced. And I don't think, like, and we'll talk about it when he gets to in theory. Like, that was very natural. And I could totally see everything about that. But Yar, and then to continue this travesty that is Data and Yar, they talk about it all the time. Measure of a man. Oh, what does this mean to you? It's, you know, Yar's little. And they just kept bringing it over and over again. That is something that I really don't, I don't need to hear about ever again. Mm. See, because the, the way that I feel about it is what happens in the, the Naked Now, I just don't like that episode overall because it's such a retread of the original series episode and all that stuff. So I don't necessarily like that. But I do actually like what it brings out in Data because you see it in Skin of Evil at her uh, her funeral when, like, toward the end of it, you know, Data is, is talking to Picard and, and says, you know, this is supposed to be about Lieutenant Yar, but I'm thinking about myself and how much I miss her. And Picard's like, you've got the point of it. Um, and then in Measure of a Man that she's kept, he's kept this hologram of her and it's something that has some kind of personal meaning. It's like, I don't necessarily like the actual relationship or the interaction, but what it brings out in Data and how you see more of his facets of trying to explore a more human side, I think is what makes it interesting or what I appreciate about it. Hmm. Yeah, I would agree. I just don't like that it's with Yar, maybe. I don't know. There's something about it Hmm. just doesn't sit well with me. Okay. So we're just going to go over this one briefly. Is there anything else you have to say, Richard? (laughs) No? (laughs) No, not really. I mean, it's it's pretty awkward, but I mean... It was the five-minute relationship. (laughs) Yeah, quite literally. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and at the end of it, Yar's like, it never happened. (laughs) <laughs> oh really i'll keep a hologram of you to prove it happened yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. well let's go on to another data relationship data and the borg queen listeners suggested this so we have to talk about it <laughs> this one's worth talking about in my opinion. okay yeah so this is oh, from first first contact and they have kind of an interesting relationship during the movie where um, the Borg Queen's trying to, to tempt Data to give up some of the codes and secrets, and it seems like Data had a temptation, at least for, you know, a fraction of a second. <laughs> 0.68. So, 0.68 seconds, that's right. He's very precise about it. And he kisses her, so interesting. Mm. Amy, what do you think about Data and the Borg Queen? I really like it. I I find it interesting. I like the complexity of, well, uh is it really a relationship? Is the Borg Queen really interested in Data? Well, of course not, but then maybe she might be, you know, and is Data... She seems to enjoy it. I know, right? <laughs> so, and then is Data, you know, because he does have his emotion chip and she be sure to turn it on, you know, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, is Data, you know, actually, yeah, developing feelings for it with the kiss? Is he going to destroy the Enterprise? Like, I think the buildup and just the dance between them two is so well done and just beautifully written. Mm-hmm. And the, the actors, the connection between the two 
actors, I think is just spot on. I think, uh, you know, they just, they really do sell this as a possible relationship. And I, I just think it's fun to think about. So I, I like it. Yeah. I, and actually like, so the other day I just, I just went and watched just the parts with data and the board queen, like ignoring the rest of the movie. I put some clips up on YouTube and it is interesting to like see the progression and see how he kind of gets into it. He's playing a part at a certain point, but, and, and how the board queen, she does seem to be kind of into it. I mean, like in order to prove the thing with the, the, the skin and to like blow on it, she could just be like, and just blow on it. But she like specifically like lowers herself down to the right height and is like, you know, like she's getting into yeah. the kind of drama of it. So that was interesting. What do you think, Richard? <laughs> I don't want to be inappropriate. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, no, put I, it in the most appropriate way you can. Oh, uh, there you go. Um, uh, it's it's good. I, I I actually like. I mean, I don't I don't know if I would consider it a relationship. More like she's su- trying to seduce him and basically right. get information out of him. Which the romance lasts longer than with Yar. Uh, yeah, that's, that's probably true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's about right. Yeah. Um, but like, I mean, it's. I mean, I I, I like the I, I like the whole interaction between the two. It's. It's probably some of my favorite um, parts uh, of the uh, of first contact, and it, it's it's just amazing on um, his his acting ability. I just love it. His reactions, it's like yeah, hmm. the way he <laughs> gasps, he's like, <gasps> and it seems like and it seems like it's over the top. But I guess you know, I guess in a sense, what what did, what did he say the last time he used any of his skills was like what sixteen years ago or something like that? No, I Is think what he said? it's eight. Eight, eight years. years. Eight well, years. he puts that's it. Right. He puts it to the second. Right. That's right. <laughs> eight years. That's right. I remember now. But okay, let's just generalize. Eight years. <laughs> yeah. But like, I mean, in, in to over dramatize that, it's just it it just looks like it's like the first time sort of thing, and it's just it's just great. I I absolutely love what he does in those scenes. So yeah, they're, they're it, I I like it. <laughs> So. Yeah, and, and like, you know, of the three data relationships we're, we'll talk about, it's the mm-hmm. only one with someone who is maybe a little closer to who data is as as kind mm-hmm. of a more artificial organism. Good right. So we can yeah. re- kind of relate at that level, right? Yeah. But you would think that not only would she do physical, but she would do uh, attack his mind as well. You know, like put a data port yeah. right into the back of his skull. Yeah, it was interesting how, you know, they were saying, he Data was saying, oh, you can't assimilate me, but there must be some way they could hook him into the collective, right? <laughs> you know, so he could hear their thoughts or something. I don't know. Maybe you have to have like a little uh, Borg Android adapter <laughs> in order to do yeah. that. <laughs> a lightning port or something like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, you can you can convert different different inputs. Like you could have your VGA cable on your video monitor and plug it into USB, you know, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but wouldn't things be like wireless by, uh, in the future? No more, no more of this uh, plug, a uh, plug in, plug it, plug this uh, sort of thing. You would think so. You would think so. Yeah, we'll probably call it the like wireless collective. <laughs> we'll call it like Borg, Borg Tooth or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no, I th- I think it is it is kind of an interesting relationship and there's yeah you see the the different phases of it and and what happens and 
it's one of those unfortunate relationships that ends with, you know, you murdering the other person, yes. but, you know. <laughs> it's called justice. It happens. <laughs> well, maybe well, murder it's was a board queen, word, it, but, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. the board queen. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's like, this relationship will end in one person's death. Whose will it be? <laughs> yeah. But, no, I, I, I like it, and I think it's it's interesting. Well, and it's funny because she, you know, I think... Man, so really, do you think that she really did fall for Data? Oh, no, I don't think for a minute. It do you was don't think for, for a purposes. minute? So then what was the whole point of, okay, so you're going to join me, and then she, I mean, obviously Data's playing that, yes, I will be with you, and I will be, you know, your second and your mate. And then she expects him, and so does she trust him now to, okay, enter and you know kill the enterprise yeah it know? seems like she's or or you mean the the phoenix that they're yeah, firing the phoenix at. i'm sorry yeah yeah um it seems like she has that expectation because she's surprised when it misses yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, I, yeah i don't think she, i don't, I don't think know she... i mean either she just love is blind or she just made a very wrong strategic error in her calculations of trust. or data is a really good actor as well <laughs> it seems like he is because he because <clears throat> he fools her. Yeah. But I would think that they would be working along two paths that they might have. You know, it seems like it's we can't access this information from from the codes because data doesn't work the same way that we're used to. Mm-hmm. But you'd think at the same time the rest of the collective would be working on. Let's see how we can you know get it out of his mind anyway <laughs> and they, they would have a backup plan but it was all based on her seducing him and, yep. and him yep. being interested in her yeah. so bad mm. strategy yeah oh well i guess the borg are better at building ships and firing weapons than that kind of strategy <laughs> hacking into someone else's mind yeah hmm. yeah well should we talk about the third data relationship we have on our list which is with jenna desora in in theory this is the one where uh data decides to try out a relationship with a crew member on the ship we talked about this one a little bit before mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh your thoughts amy i think this is i really do enjoy this episode i think it's so fun um i think it actually tells a lot about data and tells a lot about jenna um, and I just, I love at the end, spoiler alerts, you know, that she finally makes that, that connection of, oh, I just fell for another guy who is, un- is emotionally unavailable. And I love that connection that she makes and she's able to do it with, in my opinion, a safe person like Data um, that's, you know, would never harm her, would never, you know, do something intentionally to her that she's able to see that um, and make that connection. So I I think this is a great uh, relationship uh, episode overall because we do get to learn so much, but I, I really like that clincher at the end that she makes about her realization about herself. Well, I have a question for you, Amy, because <clears throat> um, I, I think I really like the episode as well, though I don't quite like the ending uh, as much, but, you know... <laughs> I know that our fellow host, Brandon Shamatala, has some issues with this episode and he thinks it does a real disservice to Data and that he's treated as kind of nothing more than a robot and he's a lot more than that. I mean, what do you think about that? 
Well, he is an android, and I'm still... I know it goes back and forth, and I've listened to the whole mission log thing. Like, I am going to believe, because the writers have said, and because it's been said, Data doesn't have feelings. So I'm going to go along with that. So I don't think he's treated unfairly at all. I think he's experimenting. He's doing this social experiment, and... It doesn't work out, so he's going mm. to delete the program. Yeah, like actually, as someone pointed out from a previous episode, they don't actually specifically say that Data has no emotions until I think it's toward the middle of season three in season Deja three. Q. So, yeah. but it feels like to me it's heavily implied before then, but they don't really say anything about it, and they kind of move more toward <coughs> toward no emotions. But mm-hmm. anyway, I thought I'd mention that just as a different point of view. But um, what I think is also interesting is like in this episode, it's not like this crew member, uh, DeSora, is someone who's new to Data and is just there all of a sudden. He's talking about that they've had this friendship that's gone on for a while and Data is supportive of her and knows about past relationships, is going to you know help her to remind her of what wasn't good about past relationships. So I kind of like that there's some history there and i think as i said before it would have been interesting if the relationship continued past this episode and we could see more of it um but richard what do you think of data and jenna desora in in theory i like the relationship it's just i don't like how it ended um especially when you have when when he says oh i'm gonna delete this program because uh, i have no use for it and i'm like um you know with his with his you know, passion to be more human, that would be something that you actually would keep and learn from and all that kind of stuff. But overall, I actually like the relationship on how it changed, uh, you know, him ch- trying to, uh, him trying to figure out what she likes, what kind of uh, person that he should be. And, you know, it's, it's like, like we said before, you know, you got to be yourself in order to make her, uh, in, in order to find someone as well as make a relationship work as, as well. Um, and, I, I mean, I like him trying to figure it out and everything, and, he, and in a sense, he's trying to find himself and also trying to find out what kind of person he should be like when it reality is he should be himself as, you know, as a person. I mean, obviously, in a sense, I guess you want to say she fell for him, I guess, is is probably the closest word or phrase I could think of to why why she would start dating him. But, like, at the same time, like we said, you know, he's yeah. in a sense emotionally unavailable so well he he seems he seems kind and and supportive and that's what she likes and i think she's really jarred by him trying to take on this persona and like yelling at her and stuff and she's like what are you doing because she she wants him to be that kind and supportive person all the time but he can only work it seems based on what he's you know um, read about read about or or heard um which is interesting because like for for us as humans we often work on what we've read about or what we've heard or what we've seen before having a certain experience so i don't know how data would be all that different but um, i don't know it does have limitations it seems you know when he goes in and you know tries to start this argument and she's like what is going on like i think it it's she could feel that it was contrived and i think you can see that and feel that when you're in a relationship with someone who you know, is playing games. I, I equate that the same way. And it's like, why are you playing games with me? Just be real, just be authentic, just be honest, you know? And I think she sort of, you know, is like, why are you playing this game, quote unquote, running this program, you know, just be authentic. And 
I don't know. I sort of made that connection. She definitely um, was flattered that he did write a program, but it was that program that changed him, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, you can't mm -hmm. have it both ways, woman. <laughs> you mean you can't eat your cake and uh, or every cake yeah. and eat it too? <laughs> Mm. I don't right. know, but I, th you know, it's, it's, you do get to see the entirety of a relationship, you know, after the, at the very beginning at the, you know, after the concert and she's all self-deprecating and, oh, I should have done better. And, you know, they're sitting there with O'Brien and Keiko and, and I almost feel a little bad for Data because before he writes this program, like she he will say stuff that makes her laugh. Oh, data, mm. you know, and, but it's like, <laughs> yeah. she's laughing at him because he doesn't know that he's saying is funny. And I'm like, that's mm. a little mean. I don't know. I didn't take it. She was laughing at him. She, I think what she was laughing at was kind of, I don't know, his, his personality that he could be funny and make jokes and not realize it. I don't know. Yeah, mm -hmm. so he's right. he's saying something. She takes it as a joke. I mean, it is funny, but he's not knowing he's saying it. So you're not laughing with him. Hmm. So hmm. you're laughing at him. I don't know. All hmm. right. Well, so shall we move on from data? We shall. Okay. <laughs> so, so far, all of the relationships we've talked about were doomed to some sort of failure. But let's talk about one that continues and is successful in its way <laughs> and that is miles o'brien and keiko uh, who appear in some episodes of tng a number of episodes of uh, ds9 but we'll just talk about the tng stuff here so what i think is interesting is that i think a lot of people get annoyed by keiko but i don't mind her and i kind of like the o'brien keiko relationship um but amy what are your thoughts on it in tng well I guess, and I don't know if it's with the relationship specifically, but mm -hmm. I find it so interesting that O'Brien and Keiko are so entrenched in their cultures mm -hmm. that it sort of causes a rift sometimes between them. And I think, I don't, I don't know. I. I think that's the only part about it that I like. I love that, you know, they come together and they have their little tiffs and that they definitely have some love for each other and they have this baby. Mm -hmm. And so we get to see, we get to see them by themselves. We get to see them interacting as couples like we do, you know, in theory. Um, so I, I don't mind it. I don't think I would miss it if it were gone. But I don't know. What do you think, Richard? I absolutely love their relationship. And mm -hmm. I really wish they would have shown more in TNG than they did, like they did in T uh, DS9. Because mm -hmm. um, it's, it's, it's like your classic, you know, it's like your classic family. I mean, it's considered a family ship. Well, why not show families in um, and O'Brien and Keiko is is that family that they could uh, obviously depict on an actual starship, you know, show the stresses like they did in DS9 with Keiko. Um, and then mm. and they could have done 
all of that you know what are the stresses of actual interstellar travel what are the stresses of having like molly you know or you know what was the other kid hoshi wasn't wasn't the other one no not hoshi um, no yoshi yoshi, yoshi. thank you yeah. <laughs> yoshi well, who gets born in ds9 yeah right exactly yeah. yeah exactly but i'm just saying like you know why not show the family dynamic on how it stresses the uh, how it can stress i mean obviously we don't know yet but um we can only yeah. assume and it, it, i mean I, I can only imagine what it would be like uh to be on a starship that long and then have your entire family like that and and you know, it's sort of like you know, how would they react to like shore leave, or how how would they react to when they go to a, a certain planet? I think this would have been a gold mine, at least one mm. story here and there. Um, I mean, it doesn't have to be every story, obviously, <laughs> but like at least show kind yeah, of some kind right. of um, some kind of like story of them being a family on board a starship. So. Yeah, I mean, because everyone else is single that would be a nice switch to see that i you're right missed opportunity yeah and I, I was noticing because i watched all the different parts where you see miles and keiko together there's really mm-hmm. not that much i mean it's right keiko appears in eight episodes but i think there's one or two where o'brien isn't even in the episode she's just doing something else mm-hmm. um and in some of the episodes like in in power play you know o'brien gets taken over by this alien presence and for mm-hmm. a lot of the episode he's just just being like really harsh to her right um and then in rascals you know keiko is like a 12 year old so you don't get to see like their regular relationship (laughs) and then in in night terrors i think o'brien's getting affected and he's like insanely jealous but it's because he's you know not getting the right kind of sleep so like for uh, unfortunately for a lot of these you don't get to see the regular interaction but you do get to see it a little bit like you know when when uh, Keiko wants Miles to eat her plankton loaf and sea berries, and he's like, yeah. mm, "I don't know about this." By the way, is that something they made up? I don't think plankton loaf is like a real thing, but um, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> they're trying to make up some like futuristic health food, I guess. But so I so they were <laughs> they were arguing over that, and then Miles is like, "Oh, you should have some of my Irish cuisine. You'll love it. Oh, it's so heavy." You know, you get to see some of this interaction. It feels real. Like people would talk about that. Like eh, I don't know mm-hmm. about that food. You know, so that's nice to see. And you know, in I think it's in theory when they're kind of teasing about uh, Miles. Uh, always leaving his socks around that she has to pick up like they're very affectionate with each other during that scene and kind of teasing each other so i get the feeling like they they have their their arguments and and conflicts and things that you know have stresses and strains but that would be like any marriage or any relationship and it feels real and they kind of work it out and you know move forward and you know they are good in their relationship i mean the first time we see them is when they're getting married right so we see like their their married life and having kids but yeah they should have done a lot more with that and probably if o'brien was a regular character you would have seen a lot more of that but because he wasn't you didn't Mm -hmm. but but yeah i i like it but i've i've seen people who don't like keiko and think she's a little harsh to, to miles but I don't think so. Like, if you really, like, take a look at all the clips back to back, I think there is kind of, like, a loving interaction there most of the time, mm-hmm. at least in TNG. <laughs> so, yeah. And I think out of the relationships you see in TNG, it's only this one and Riker and Troy that end up being successful through, like, the whole run. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's it, true. Pretty much. So, at least there's those two. Well... Uh, anything else on this or should we move on to the next one? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Okay. Good. 
let's talk about something we talked about a little bit before, but I'm getting, Amy gets excited about that, is Beverly <laughs> Crusher and Odan. So I have to say, before you give your comments, Amy, I rewatched the episode. I did like it a lot more this time and got what you were talking about with their interaction. It did, it did feel like natural and it made more sense to me. So I'm glad I rewatched it. Oh, but good. I'm tell us what, here. tell us how much you love this relationship. <laughs> I do. And I feel like I'll be duplicating what I said last week, but I will gladly say it again. I just feel, okay. So yeah, we get to see the opening shot in a passionate kiss between, you know, Beverly and Odan. I mean, just what an opener, but it just is so realistic and natural and the characters they have good chemistry on screen i think also what plays into it that it doesn't feel like a relationship of the week because they have a history it seems like and i don't know if they said exactly how long odon has been on the enterprise but it i think it's a couple weeks yeah it's a significant yeah. amount of time for you know compared to you know, a romance of the week type of thing. So they they do a good job in bringing their history, albeit two weeks. But you know that they there's been some time that they've had together, and now they're at this fun, exciting point of their relationship that is, you know, it's still new. And ooh, are we telling people? Are we not telling people? <laughs> I mean, I just, I love it. And like I said, I hope everyone has experienced that part of the relationship that's just still so fun and new and you want to be around. And, and it just is very realistic of, you know, when they're in his quarters and she's like, well, I have to go to work and they're kiss, kiss. Oh, I have to really go now, kiss, kiss. You know, it's just... <laughs> Don't go. I just think it's so realistic and they did such a good job in really, you know, making that relationship an important part in Crusher's life. I wish that they would have referenced that later on as well, but yeah, but, they, but they didn't. they didn't. Well, I mean, I, I can see that like, and, and it does seem like, like a, a passionate and natural relationship, but of course, unlike any relationship, any of us on this planet have experienced, you know, there's this symbiont where the memories kind of continue to, to another host to Riker and then to the female host Kareel at, at the end. So that makes it different, <laughs> but, but yeah. it is interesting <laughs> to see those permutations. Yeah. And how she yeah. keeps up with it or lack thereof. Or tries to and fails at the end, which yeah. I want to talk about a little bit. But <laughs> but Richard, what do you think about uh, Crusher and Odan? Um, everything that Amy's just said. <laughs> okay. Uh, no. It, it, no, I like it. I like it a lot. I, I, I agree with her. It's, it's very... Um, it, it's one of those relationships that you really want. And, you know, it's it's... I I I, guess I sympathize with all all of that. So yeah, yeah. everything's uh, Amy said it all. <laughs> well, so here's the question that I have. So she has this great relationship with Odan, but the host body dies and mm -hmm. has to be put into Riker while they're waiting for a new host to to come. And she struggles with it, and she has all these issues with it. But then eventually, like, okay, we'll continue the relationship. I'll kiss you, <laughs> and we'll do. Yeah continue on and I'll help you out, whatever. Yes. So she seems okay with that, yes. even though it's clearly going to be temporary. Then at the end, 
to Beverly's surprise, the next host is a female host. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the end of it, like she has this, this like explanation doesn't specifically say, oh, it's because your, your host is the same sex that I am. But she says something like, I can't keep up with these changes. It could be temporary. But when it was with the Riker as the host, she was willing to be okay with it being temporary. I always had the feeling that if it was a male host, that she would be more open to continuing that. I mean, And I always think about that when I think of this episode. And I wonder, Amy, what you think about that. Yeah, I agree completely. I think that she was willing to, you know, bide her time with Riker because you are expecting that the next host body will be male, you know, and I guess that's a normal assumption, not having any prior relationship or knowledge of Trill. I don't know. You think the, do you think the, the host that are ready might be, you know, half and half? I, I don't know, but the well, way Trill society works. You know, but weird, in but. your mind, you know, I'm sure, you know, if I were Beverly, I mean, I just, I haven't come across a trill before, and so I, I don't know. You know, we're just cre- or maybe creatures she thinks all the hosts are male habit. or something. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But it's definitely that twist at the end because I think everyone, all the viewers, were going to assume that it would be another male host. You know, and, As and if there's this identity yeah. that this symbi- this trill, is gendered. And again, that is how we view the world, yeah. not necessarily but, everyone. But I, th- I think the interesting thing, and they probably get into this more in, in DS9, is like the host has a specific gender, but the symbiont really doesn't and has to right. go through all of these changes. They're in a different host that have different genders over, over time. But I think it is interesting, and probably at the time this they were pushing this as far as they could, you know, Beverly says, oh, Dan, I, you know, I do love you. And, you know, please remember that. And she's specifically, I think, saying that to the symbiont, not necessarily to the host. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, Kareel, who's the new host, like kisses her on the wrist, which is probably as far as they could go at that point. But yes. I do think it's interesting. And, and they were taking some risks in even doing that. But it, probably if it were today, they might do things a little differently. Maybe. I don't know. But it always strikes me as as interesting that they put that in there as the mm-hmm. reason why it wasn't going to continue. So, any thoughts on that, Richard? No, that covers it. <laughs> yeah, okay. pretty much. Yeah, that pretty much. But yeah, it. it is interesting in the space of like the forty-five minutes. There are th- like three different hosts that she has to deal with in this. Mm-hmm. It's, there's a lot, a lot going on there. Well, and that's why but, what her statement is at the end, like that's true. It's like, man, I can't keep up. And you know, if I think about it, like. If I'm in love with someone, do I want them to live forever? I don't know. That seems, I don't know. It's just, you know, because we're so used to dying. We're going to live, you know, give or take 75 years. That's the average expectancy. So, you know, like with that, almost that relationship has closure. And so... Now with Beverly and O'Dan, like Beverly's going to eventually die, but that relationship doesn't have any closure. And so Mm. that sort of messes with the mind a little bit, I think. It does. I mean, it's, and it's established in DS9 that these, 
symbionts can live for hundreds of years across a number of different hosts and different lifetimes and but like also you know it's it's kind of a weird thing because that symbiont has memories and experiences that get passed on but it's mixed with the host and anyway we could have a whole discussion about it but (laughs) but uh yeah i think it's it's quite interesting to think about and i definitely enjoyed the episode more this time so it seems amy when you recommend or some you make a comment and i go back and rewatch something i like it more (laughs) so (laughs) victory yeah all right so we have one more i know we've been going for about an hour here. We have one more that I want to make sure that we talk about. And we talked about a few Riker relationships in the previous episode, or maybe it was Riker and Troy. But let's talk about Riker and Soren. So this is from the episode The Outcast uh, with the Janai, which are the <clears throat> the genderless uh, species. So, uh, Amy, what do you think about them? Well, let's just, even before I go, this okay. thing, genderless species, obviously is not correct because we come to find out that there is gender, but they try to neutralize it. So I just want to mm. make that clear. Um, yeah, I I love the fact that Jonathan Franks says that he wanted Soren's character to be played by a male actor. Mm-hmm. And had that been the case, like now when I watch the outcast, like I just have to view it that way. Cause I think yeah. it would make and does make the episode that much stronger. I and think, it's not just Soren. I think all the Janai are played by women. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You're right. Um, I, I really think that um, the relationship again, between Riker and Soren, I think it develops naturally. I mean, of course we only see it, you know, in one episode, but um, it seems like there's days that they're together and I, I'm almost, I like the start of the relationship, but then near the end where Riker's willing to break and disobey orders to go and save her. And, you know, I feel that that's a little over the top for me, but I like definitely the beginning of their relationship. Hmm. Well, what do you think, Richard? I like it. Um, I, you know, I, I think, I, I think that didn't, didn't we, um, want to skirt way around this one for, um, there, there, until the there, next there was an episode that you guys did with, with Lee me. about, yeah. R- right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it's fine. I mean, I, I have no problems with it. Um, I actually, I uh, thought it was a, very genuine um, relationship uh, to be on the show, and um, that would—I don't—I don't know how I feel about it being a male. I mean, well, the, I would the, like to the see reason it. that Jonathan Frakes had said that was because it was supposed to kind of be um, <clears throat> like an allegory or a subtle message right. about like uh, about gay relationships and what it was that that would be like. They were trying to say something, but they couldn't kind of go that far and say it, but. No, 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 um, I, no. I, I know. I'm just saying. Like, I, I just, yeah. I don't know what it would look like. Uh, to be quite honest, I mean, it is. I mean, it, pro- it definitely would have been groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> they would have had. They would have definitely had to rewrite that episode, um, or at least not rewrite it, but like uh, rewrite the character a little bit because I don't know. I think they. I think more the. It felt. She felt more. Well, obviously she was. Uh, but <laughs> it felt more female <laughs> than anything else yeah. versus transgender. I don't know if. Um, I don't know if 
there's a correct way to uh, write a transgender or no gender person. I don't know if that's even possible. But um, but yeah, it, it definitely would have been uh, interesting and uh, definitely groundbreaking um, to have something like that. And I agree with Jonathan Frakes. It should it, it could have it very well could have been um, very interesting to see it through the male or well yeah. the male characteristic of non-gender. So yeah. Well, but, here's here's yeah. the question that I always think about because I, I mean I think even if the character of of Soren you know reveals to Riker like I've felt more like I'm part of a female gender and want to express myself that way. Mm-hmm. Like it, it does seem like Soren is, is different in some ways than, <clears throat> than the other people that you might see with, with, with Riker. So I just think about that, like, you know, w- what is most appealing to Riker about, about Soren? Is it like the, the way that, that Soren like expresses herself or the way that they talk to each other or like, what, what do you guys think it is that, because I think not only, you know, supposedly the lack of gender, but I think in some other ways, this character is different than, than some of the other ones that, that we see Riker have relationships with. So what do you think Amy, it is that appeals to him? Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought this up because I wanted to ask sort of a follow-up question. Do you feel that because she views Riker like in 10 forward, you know, a little flirting and stuff like that. So do you think that just in viewing that, that she's already Mm -hmm. trying to change and albeit not really knowing exactly what she's changing into, but into change into something that Riker finds attractive. Therefore Mm. that would be female. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like she has this attraction to him and is trying to find out a way to express it. So, so that he'll reciprocate or something. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, maybe if she had seen Riker interacting and flirt, flirting, you know, with with males, you know, that he found attractive, like, would she have and felt more inclined to be male if that's what he preferred, you know? So so I wonder if one of the things that's appealing to, to Riker is the way that that Soren just kind of doesn't have any hesitation to say things that most people wouldn't say. It was like, Commander, tell me about your sexual organs. And he's like, uh, <laughs> like this is someone that can kind of put him off balance a little bit. And mm-hmm. maybe that's, that's something like, I don't know, that, Ooh, that he finds ask, appealing. Yeah, yeah, but go ahead. so let me ask you this. Do you think that Riker finds it appealing that she is, and I, oh my gosh, I said the word she, that Soren. Well, is... that, that's another thing. I think that it's it, it it can be appropriate to say that because that's how for a lot of the episode she's identifying. She identifies herself. Yeah. But anyway, but so, it is a question. <laughs> so, do you think that Riker is that it's reinforcing he is falling for Soren because she is transforming herself to be someone that he is attracted to? You know, it's sort Maybe, of like yeah. the perfect mate. Mm. You know, yeah, I can the, see that. like I'm yeah. going to transform myself into something that you will like, that you will want, because I'm attracted to you, and that's what I want to do. 
I don't know. These are really good be. episodes, good relationships. <laughs> yeah, it brings up a lot of interesting questions. So should we maybe talk about our final thoughts about our discussion today? Yeah. That's yeah. Fine. So, uh, Richard, so what are your final thoughts about the relationships we've uh, talked about today? Or even if you want to talk about, you know, this combined with <laughs> what we talked about before, and maybe there's some, like, interesting thread through all of that um okay so i mean overall my final thoughts on this is that i'm glad that i'm glad we're going through the uh through all these it's definitely putting a different perspective on some of these relationships that you don't even think about you know we think about you know Riker and troy and roe and Riker and um no we don't ever think about that richard (laughs) <laughs> and you know what I mean. I just and Worf and Troy, Worf and Troy, Worf and Kalar, Picard and Crusher. Yeah, right. Yeah. And you know all the major relationships, but seeing these secondary relationships just makes me think about, you know, you know they're actually well written. Uh, I mean, for the most part. I, I mean, uh, obviously endings on some of them aren't really that great, but at the same time, it, it's you know we kind of you know put these to the back burner and not really talked about them like like we could um for this show and actually i'm glad that we did this because um these relationships are important just as much as the uh the major ones and they deserve to be discussed and analyzed and all that kind of stuff so um i'm glad we did this and yeah it um just i i I didn't get my my say in the whole Riker soren thing but that's okay um but like um oh no, no, no. And then that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. No, I'm just saying like, not that I'm against anything like that. I'm just saying like, I, my whole thing was that, you know, I, I would have loved to have seen a uh, guy, but if it's going to be, if we're talking about like what Riker likes, it needs to be a guy that's bigger than him, like taller. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, to, just, just, just to see it. I, so I you really know that. what Riker likes, huh? He likes us. He likes a smaller woman. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he definitely... Yeah, I would man. say, yeah, he, yeah, he, oh, but a taller man, that would be very interesting just to see. Cause I mean, if, if he wants his character to be that kind of character, a uh, character that's, you know, all around and doesn't mind, um, I guess kissing a man or being romantic on with yeah. a man on the show, then it would have to be someone that's taller than him and probably more dominant than him. I'm, I'm assuming it can't be someone that's like, you know, submissive and everything. We're getting to a whole different discussion. But yeah, that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'm just saying, like, if it had to be that way, it has to be that way. So, um, but right. like, um, yeah, I, I really I enjoy um, thinking about all these relationships. So I'm glad mm-hmm. we did it. Excellent. Amy, your I, final yeah, thoughts. Yeah, I too am really glad we've done this because, you know, when you say Star Trek, the genre of Star Trek is that it's your sci fi, you know, it's action, it's space, it's. But then analyzing, listening to all of these romantic relationships, like that is what's real. I mean, everyone's in relationships. Everyone's not in relationships. And we get to see the whole gamut, thanks to Jordy. Um, (laughs) 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 But we do. We do get to see these relationships and analyze it. And it tells us who we are as a human race and where we are and and our thought processes and how we interact one with another. And, you know, as much as Star Trek is known for, you know, being socially aware, like they, 
I mean, talking about this, this is basically a drama show. I mean, you could consider this as much a drama show as you can sci-fi with the amount of relationships to conversations mm -hmm. that we've had on this. So I'm really glad to, to have this chance to talk about and ask these questions about how are we in relationships and, and how the characters show that and how they grow because of it. I totally Excellent. Agree. Yeah, I think it is great that we did. And I'm glad that the listeners had some other suggestions and we could go over this topic as a part two, because you, there there are a lot of relationships to to talk about. And one thing that does strike me is the kind of <laughs> breadth of it, because you have Jordy with a hologram and then you have, you know, Data with the leader of a cyborg collective. And then you have Crusher <laughs> with somebody who has a symbiont that can change host bodies. And then you have Riker with someone with a species that says that there's no gender. And like, it's, <clears throat> I mean, pretty much the, the only ones in here where it, it maybe is more typical are the, the ones with maybe Yar and Desora Keiko, maybe Aquiel. <laughs> that one's really weird too. No, that but like weird. there's, <laughs> <laughs> but like there's, there's all of this, this breadth of relationships. So yeah, I mean, it, it is talking about romantic relationships and drama, but in a very sci-fi way in a lot of these things. And I like that because it causes us to think about our own relationships and what's important for us and how much we should be ourselves and things like that. And I think what also runs through all of this is that, like, if you think about the relationships on TNG, it's pretty much um, just Riker and Troy, like, by the time of Nemesis and O'Brien and Keiko uh, during TNG that is actually like successful and long lasting. Everything else is doomed for one reason or another. Mm -hmm. And it made me think of the To the Journey episodes they've done recently on doom relationships where it's pretty much they're all doomed except Balana and Tom. So it's like there's something about being on a ship that leads to all of these like relationships that don't work out. Because on DS9, there's a lot of relationships that actually do work out. <laughs> so anyway, but it makes you think about the show in a different way. So I like it when we do a, a topic like this. So I'm glad we came back and did this. Yes. As do I. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So a preview of next week's episode. So next week, inspired by a couple of standard orbit episodes about uh, some unfilmed scripts for the original series, and also a suggestion by listener Tim Hands to do this for Earl Grey, we are going to start, I hope, a series. <laughs> hope you guys like doing it next week um, of lost episodes for the next generation. So I've been doing some research. There's some really interesting things that scripts that were developed that were never filmed. So we can talk about some of those what ifs and whether we like those episodes or there's a reason that it didn't make it to the screen. So hopefully you guys are looking forward to that. Yes, and thankfully we're on the same network as Standard Orbit, so there's not copyright infringements because we sure do keep t stealing a lot of their ideas that they do. So thank you, Standard Orbit. <laughs> no, yes, no, no, you. no. It's because I've been batting down the, his lawsuits and everything. It, you're, uh, we're fine. We're fine. Okay, good, good. <laughs> oh, thank you. I didn't even have to think about it. <laughs> so anyway, we'll look forward to that and hope that you'll join us for that. Well, it's been so much fun talking about more strange and interesting romantic relationships on The Next Generation, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Also, and this might be me reading way too much into this, but I feel like because 
Tilly ends up being so instrumental in what happens later in the Mirror Universe. Part of me, when I was reading this, wondered if in the back of my mind, Stamets is like, I need to have one person. And Lork is like, oh, I want to make my own. Oh, Tilly, that's who you want. Yeah, okay, (laughs) sure. (laughs) To the journey! This is Jeff Foxworthy. You might be a redneck if. Oh, Lord. (laughs) If you fall in love with a hologram... (laughs) You might be in a doomed relationship. If you fall in love and it never really happened... You might be in a doomed relationship. If you fall in love with someone manipulative... You might be in a doomed relationship. If you can't even remember your own name... You're definitely in a doomed relationship. (laughs) The Orb. So I'm going to destroy your computers. So if you want to fight, you're going to have to use real bombs. I hope you're ready because I'm leaving. You figure it out. But of course, trailing the Enterprise is always the Starfleet cleanup ship that comes in and yeah, cleans the up the mess. Yeah, the USS Broom Sweep. Right, yeah. USS Broom Sweep. Standard orbit. Can we not just go to just a planet and everybody has dark complexion and it's just it's not a thing? You know, it's not like a crux of the story, right? That would have been, I think that would have been true progress. And it's not even like, oh, well, since we're going to this planet, we have to talk about race. That's the whole point of the whole story. Uh, it serves the story well, but I don't think that's a prerequisite to have a story like this. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in the Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the de- or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please, leave us a star rating and written review. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm contact. Choose to send to a show in Selector or Gray. That will come right to us. You can also find the network on Trek FM and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. So, Richard, where can people find you when you're not trying to resist the Borg Queen? I don't know if I would resist. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so resistance is futile, huh? Ah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, they could find me um, in uh, on Facebook at uh, at the Babel Conference. I pop in here and there, and also I am on Twitter. My handle is X Ransom. Amy, where can people find you when you're not rooting for Crusher and Odin? Well, you can find me here on the network. I co-host The Edge with Brandon Shamutella. I am on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson, but my favorite place is on the Babel Conference. Well, Justin, where can people find you when you're not being sad for Jordy's failed relationships? 
Jordy Sai here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek. Currently tweeting out my Season 5 rewatch of The Next Generation. And you can also find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more. Available through our special patrons website, The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd like to take this opportunity and recognize our current associate producers, Norman Lau, Justin Ozer, Michael Huter, and Thomas Appel. Thank you for supporting Trek FM and Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Today is a good day to die. That was very romantic, Worf. <laughs> You want me to growl it for you? (laughs) Great joy and gratitude. Jordy, no, don't do it. No. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Uh. you guys are too funny.